Hello everybody, and today we are going to be, well you are anyway, going to be enjoying my first episode of my new podcast called Reading Harry Potter with an 11 year old. So, I've loved Harry Potter and podcasts my whole entire life. I just find a big passion about both of them. I listen to podcasts all the time before I go to sleep, um, pretty much any time of the day when I can. I follow lots of people and it's just great. And I love Harry Potter. I've loved it for a long time now. Um, yeah, so I just decided why not read Harry Potter on a podcast because I really, really liked Harry Potter and I've always wanted to read it to someone that my sister doesn't want to. So why not read it to some other six-year-old out there? So that's what I'm going to do today in this podcast. I really hope you enjoy. This is targeted for all audiences from one-year-old all the way to probably impossible, but one, one trillion years old. It doesn't even matter. Either way, everyone, no matter the age, no matter the race, no matter anything, really, Everyone just deserves to enjoy some Harry Potter. So, let's read some Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I'll be starting this off by reading probably about half of the first chapter. Um, yeah, just to let you know, I am, um, this video is, uh, well, podcast actually, is inspired by a man called Doug Woodhouse, I believe. He makes reading Harry Potter with a four and a half year old. It's great. I just love it. I choose a different podcast every night and listen to it before I go to sleep. It's great. So please support him. Um, Yeah, that's all I really have to say. So without further ado, let's listen to some Harry Potter. Okay, guys, I'm back. It's been about five minutes since the intro. Um, anyway, doesn't matter, let's get on from that. So, we're going to be reading the first chapter, as I said, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling. First chapter is called The Boy Who Lived. So, let's get ready. I'm going to make a few mistakes, but I hope that's okay. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr Dursley was the director of a firm called Brunnings, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large moustache. Mrs Dursley was thin and blonde, and had nearly the twice of usual amount of neck, which came in very useful, as she spent so much of her time craning over garden fences, spying on the neighbours. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion, there was no finer boy anywhere. The Dursleys had everything they wanted, but they also had a secret, and their greatest fear was that someone would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found out about the Potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they didn't have they hadn't met for several years because in fact Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister 
because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as un-Dursley-ish as it was possible to be. The Dursleys shuddered to think of what the neighbours would say if the Potters arrived in the street. The Dursleys knew that the Potters also had a small son too, but they never had even seen him. This boy was another good reason too for keeping the Potters away. They didn't want Dudley mixing with a child like that. When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on a dull, grey Tuesday, our story starts, and there was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that strange and mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mrs. Dur- Mr. Dursley hummed as he picked out the most boring work tie for work, boring tie for work, and Mrs. Dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled a screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them noticed a large tawny owl fluttered past the window. At half past eight, Mr. Dursley pecked, picked up his briefcase, pecked Mrs. Dursley on the cheek, and tried to tis, kiss Dudley goodbye. But miss, because Dudley was now having a tantrum and throwing his cereal at the walls. Little tyke, chortled Mr. Dursley as he left off into the ho- out of the house. He got into his car and backed off number four's drive. It was something on the corner of the street that he noticed for the first sign of something peculiar. A cat reading a map. For a second, Mr. Dursley didn't realise what he had seen. Then he jerked his head around to look again. There was a tabby cat standing on the corner of Privet Drive, but there wasn't a map inside. What could have he been thinking of? It must have been a trick of the light. Mr. Dursley blinked and stared at the cat. It stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat in his mirror. It was now reading the sign that said, Privet Drive. No, looking at the sign. Cats couldn't read maps or signs. Mr. Dursley gave himself a little shake, shake and put the cat out of his mind. He drove towards the town and thought nothing except a large order of drills he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, drills were driven out of his mind by something else. As he sat in the usual traffic, morning traffic jam, he couldn't help noticing that there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people about. People in cloaks. Mr. Dursley couldn't bear people who dressed in funny clothes. The get-ups that you saw on these young people. He, dr- he supposed this was some stupid new fashion. He drummed his fingers on the steering wheel, and his eyes fell on a huddle of weirdos standing quite close by. They were whispering excitedly together. Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that a couple of them weren't young at all. Why, that man had to be older than he was, and he was wearing an emerald green cloak. The nerve of him. But then it struck to Mrs. Dursley, that this was probably some silly stunt. Ah, yes. These people were obviously collecting for something. Yeah, that would be it. The traffic moved on, and a few minutes later, Mr. Dursley arrived in the Grunnings car park, his mind back on drills. Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it harder to concentrate on drills that morning. He didn't see owls swooping past in broad daylight, though people down in the street did. They pointed and gazed open mouth as owl after owl spread overhead. 
sped overhead. Most of them have never seen an owl in their life, or have never seen an owl even at night time. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfectly normal owl-free morning. He yelled at five different people, made several important telephone calls, and shouted a bit more. He was in a very good mood until lunchtime, when he thought he'd stretch his legs and walk across the road to buy himself a bun from the baker's opposite. He'd forgotten about the people in cloaks until he passed a group of them next to the bakers. He eyed them angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. This lot were whispering excitedly too, and he couldn't see a single collecting tin. It was on it was on his way back past them, clutching a large donut in his bag, that he caught a few words of what they were saying. Ah, oh, the potters, that's right. That's what I heard. Their son, Harry. Mr. Dursley stopped dead. Fear flooded him. He looked back at the whispers, as if he wanted to say something to them, but thought better of it. He dashed up back across the road, hurried up to his office, snapped at his secretary not to deserve him, seized his telephone, and almost finished dialing his home number when he changed his mind. He put the receiver back down and stroked his moustache, thinking... No, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't such an unusual name. He was sure there were lots of people called Potter, Potter who had a son called Harry. Come to think of it, he hadn't even seen the boy. It might have been Harvey or Harold. There was no point in worrying Mrs. Dursley. She always got so upset if any mention at her sister. And he didn't blame her if he'd had a sister like that. But all the same... Those people in cloaks. He found it a lot harder to concentrate on drills that afternoon. And when he left the building at five o'clock, he was still so worried that he walked straight into someone just outside the door. Sorry, he grunted, as the tiny old man stumbled and almost fell. He was. It was a few seconds before Mr. Dursley realised that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at all upset at being knocked almost to the ground. On the contrary, his face split into a wide smile, and he said in a squeaky voice that made passerby stare, Don't be sorry, my dear sir, for nothing has could upset me today. Rejoice, for you know who has gone at last. Even muggles like yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. to leave a rating and a review down below and please please follow us and watch our other episodes i guess if you're reading if you're watching this right now or listening to this um please um if other episodes have been released then yeah can you please go watch those um yeah i would deeply appreciate it if you could leave a rating review and remember how the old saying goes if you don't have any, anything nice to say, don't say it at all. But if you do have something nice to say, leave it in the ratings and a review down below. Also, it would really, really help with constructive criticism, not actual criticism. Um, yeah, I would really appreciate that. And yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. Um, let's continue with reading Harry Potter.
Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think we're up to... Don't be sorry, my dear sir. That nothing could upset me today. Rejoice, for you know who has gone at last. Even muggles like yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. And the old man hugged Mr. Dursley around the middle and walked off. Mr. Dursley stood rooted to the spot. He had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought that he'd been called a muggle, whatever that was. He was rattled. He hurried to his cart and set off home, um, hoping that he was imagining things, which he had never hoped before, because he never approved of imagination. As he pulled into the driveway of number four, the first thing he saw, and it didn't improve his mood, was the tabby cat he'd spotted that morning. He was now sitting on his garden wall. He was sure it was the same one. It had the same markings around its eyes. Shoo! said Mr. Dursley loudly. The cat didn't move. It just gave him a stern look. Was this normal cat behaviour, Mr. Dursley wondered? Still trying to pull himself together. Not let it, let, he let himself into the house. He was still determined to mention nothing to his wife. Mr. Dursley had a nice, normal day. She told him over dinner about Mr. Nextdoor's problems and her daughter and um, and how Dudley had learnt a new word. Shan't. Mr. Dursley had tried to act normally. When Dudley had been put to bed, he went into the living room in time to catch the last reportings on the evening news. And finally, bird watchers everywhere have reported that the nation's owls have been be behaving very unusually today. Although... There have been hundreds of sightings of these birds. Although owls normally hunt at night and are hardly ever seen in daylight, there have been hundreds of sightings of these birds flying in every direction since sunrise. Experts are unable to explain why the owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The news reader allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious. And now, over to Jim McGuffin. Going to be any more showers of owls tonight, Jim? Well, Ted, said the weatherman, I don't know about that, but it's not the only owls that have been acting oddly today. Viewers, far apart as in Kent, Yorkshire, Dundee, have been phoning in to tell me that instead of the rain that I promised yesterday, they've been having a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire night early. It's not until next week, folks, but I can promise a wet night tonight. Mr. Dursley sat frozen in his armchair. Shooting stars all over Britain. Owls flying by daylight. Mysterious people in cloaks all over the place. And a whisper. A whisper about the Potters. Mr. Durs Mrs. Dursley came into the living room carrying two cups of tea. It was no good. He'd have to say something to her. He cleared his throat nervously. Uh, Petunia, dear. You haven't heard anything from your sister lately, have you? As she expected, Mr. Dursley looked shocked and angry. After all, they normally pretended they didn't ha even have a sister. No, she said sharply. Why? Funny stuff on the news, Mr. Dursley mumbled. Ow, shooting stars, and there's a lot of funny-looking people in town today. So, snapped Mrs. Dursley, well, I thought, maybe... It just had something to do with, you know, her lot. Mrs. Dursley slipped her teeth through pursed lips. 
Mr. Dursley wondered whether he dared tell her about that name. He heard the name Potter. He decided he didn't care. Instead, he said as casually as he could, The son. He'd be about Dudley's age, wouldn't he? I suppose so, said Mrs. Dursley stiffly. What's his name again? How old is it? Ah, uh, Harry. Nasty common name, if you ask me. Oh, yes, Mr. Dursley, his heart sinking horribly. Yes, I, I quite agree. He didn't say another word on the subject as they went upstairs to bed. While Mrs. Dursley was in the room, Mr. Dursley crept to the wet bedroom window and peered down into the front garden. The cat was still there. It was staring down at Privet Drive as though it was waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could it? Um, could all this have anything to do with the Potters? If it did, I if it got if it did, if it got out that they were related to a pair of well, he didn't he didn't think he could bear it. The Dursleys got into bed. Mrs. Dursley fell quickly asleep quickly. That Mr. Dursley lay awake, turning it all over in his mind. His last comforting thought was that he fell asleep. Was that even if the potters were involved, there was no reason that they were to come near him and Mrs. Dursley. The potters knew very well what he and Petunia thought about them and their kind. I must, um, I'm just going to check how much pages are left. So, I'm up to page 12. Um, I think I can read the whole chapter. Uh, instead of the, the intro, I said I would only read about half of it. But I think I could read all of it. Um, he didn't, he couldn't see how he and Petunia could get mixed up in anything that might be going on. He yawned over. It couldn't affect them. He yawned and turned over. He yawned over. The heck? Um, he couldn't, it couldn't affect them. How very wrong he was. Mr. Dursley might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep, but the cat on the wall outside was showing no sign of sleepiness. It was sitting as still as a statue, its eyes fixed unblinkly on the corner, a far corner of Privet Drive. It didn't, it didn't so much as quiver when a car door slammed overhead in the next street, nor when two hours swooped overhead. In fact, it was nearly midnight before the cat moved at all. A man appeared on the corner. The cat had been watching. It peered out of so suddenly and silently that you'd have thought he just popped out of the ground. The cat's tail twitched and its eyes narrowed. Nothing like this had ever been seen in Privet Drive. He was tall, thin, and very old, judging by the silver of his hair and beard, which were both long enough to tuck into his belt. He was wearing long robes, a purple cloak, which swept to the ground, and high-heeled buckled boots. His blue eyes were light, bright, and sparkling behind the half-moon spectacles that his nose was very long and crooked, and looked as though it had been broken at least twice. This man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realise that he had just arrived in the, in the street where everything, from his name to his boots, was unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak, looking for something. But... He did seem to realise that he was being watched, because he looked up and suddenly at the cat, which was still staring at him from the other end of the street. For some reason, 
the sight of the cat seemed to amuse him. He chuckled and muttered, I should have known. He he had found what seemed to be he was looking for inside his pocket. It seemed to, um, it seemed, it seemed to be a silver cigarette lighter. He flicked it open, held it in the air, and popped in the air and clicked it. The nearest street lamp went, went out with a little pop. He clicked it again. The next lamp flickered into the darkness. Twelve times he uh, clicked the putter outer until the only lights left in the whole street were two tiny pinpricks in the distance, of which were the eyes of the cat watching him. If anyone looked out the window now, even beady-eyed Mrs. Dursley, they wouldn't be able to see anything that was happening on the pavement. Dumbledore slipped out the putter outer back inside his cloak and set off to the, down the street towards number four, where he sat down onto the wall next to the cat. He didn't look at it, but after a moment, he spoke to it. Fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tabby, but it had gone. Instead, he was looking at a rather severe woman who was wearing square glasses, exactly the shape of the markings the cat had around her eyes. She was, too, wearing a cloak, an emerald one. Her black hair was drawn into a tight bun. She looked distinctly ruffled. How did you know it was me? she asked. My dear professor, I've never seen a cat sit so stiffly. You'd be stiff if you'd been sitting on a brick wall all day, said Professor McGonagall. All day. When could have you been celebrating? I must have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my way here. Professor McGonagall sniffed angrily. Oh yes, everyone's celebrating all right, she said impatiently. Impatiently. You'd think they'd be a bit more careful, but no. Even the muggles have noticed that something's going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head to the Dursley's dark living room window. I heard it. Flocks of owls, shooting stars. Well, they're not completely stupid. They were bound to notice something. Shooting stars down in Kent. I bet that was Daedalus Diggle. He never had that much sense. Can't blame him, said Dumbledore gently. We've had precious little to celebrate for 11 years. I know that, said Professor McGonagall irritably, but that's no reason to lose our heads. People are being downright careless in our, in, out on the street in broad daylight, not even dressed in muggle clothes, swapping rumours. She threw a sharp sideways glance to Dumbledore here, as though hoping he was going to tell her something, but he didn't. So she went on. A fine thing if it would on the very last on the very day you know who seemed to have disappeared. The muggles found out about us all of all about us all. I suppose he really has gone, Dumbledore. Well, certainly seems so, said Dumbledore. We have much to be thankful for. Would you care for a sherbet lemon? A what? A sherbet lemon. They're a kind of muggle sweet that I'm rather fond of. No thank you said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't even know that she didn't even think that this was the moment for sherbet lemons. As I said, as I say, even if you know, even if you know who has gone, my dear Professor, surely a sensible person like yourself can call him by his name, all this you-know-who nonsense for 11 years, I've been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name, Voldemort. Professor, Professor McGonagall flinched, but... Dumbledore, 
who was unsticking to his two sherbet lemons, seemed not to notice. It gets all confusing if we keep saying you know who. I have no re- I have never seen any reason to be frightened of saying Voldemort's name. I know you haven't, said Professor McGonagall, sounding half exasperated, half admiring, but you're different. Everyone knows you're the only one you know of right v- Voldemort was frightened of. You flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have. Only because you're well, too noble to use them. It's lucky it's dark. I haven't blushed so much for more since Madame Pomfrey liked my new earmuffs. Professor McGonagall shot Dumbledore a sharp look and said, The owls are nothing to the rumours that are flying around. You know what everyone's saying about why he's disappeared? About what finally stopped him? It seemed that Professor McGonagall had reached the point she had been most anxious to discuss. The real reason she had been setting, sitting on a cold hard wall all day. But neither as a cat nor as a woman, as she had fixed Dumbledore with such a piercing stare, she did not. She did now. It was plain that whatever everyone was saying, she did not. She um she was not going to believe it until Dumbledore told her it was true. Dumbledore had, however, was choosing another sherbet lemon and did not answer. What they're saying, she he, she pressed on, is that Dumbledore turned up in Godric's Hollow. And he went to find the Potters. The the rumour is that Lily and James Potter are, are that they're dead. Dumbledore bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Oh, Lily and James, I can't believe it. I don't want to believe it. Oh, Albus! Dumbledore reached out a hand and patted her on the shoulder. I know. I know, he said heavily. Professor McGonagall's voice trembled as she went on. That's not all. They're saying he tried to kill the the Potter's son, Harry, but but, but he couldn't. He he couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how. But they're saying saying when when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, Voldemort's power somehow broke. and, And that's why he's gone. Dumbledore nodded glumly. Faltered Professor McGonagall. After all, he's done. After all the people he's killed, he couldn't kill a little boy? It's just astounding. <laughs> of all the of all the things to stop him, but how in the heavens in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess, said Dumbledore. We may never know. Professor McGonagall pulled out a laced handkerchief and dabbed at her eyes beneath her spectacles. Dumbledore gave a great sniff as he took a golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It was a very odd watch. It had twelve hands but no numbers. Instead, little planets that were moving around the edge. It must have made sense to Dumbledore, though, because he put it back in his pocket and said, Hagrid's late. I suppose it was he who told you I'd be here, by the way. Yes, said Fred said Professor McGonagall. And I don't suppose you're going to tell me why you're here, of all places. I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They're the only family he has left now. You don't mean... You can't mean the people who live here, cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to her feet and pointing at number four. Dumbledore, can't. I've been watching them all day. They They couldn't find two people who were less like us. 
and they've got this son. I saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street, screaming for sweets. Harry Potter has come and has Harry Potter come and live here? It's the best place for him, Dumbledore said firmly. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older. I've written them a letter. A letter, repeated Mrs. Mr. Um, Professor McGonagall faintly, sitting back or down on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, do you think you can get to explain? Do you think you can explain all this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be a famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if there was, if today was known as Harry Potter Day in the future. There'll be books written about Harry. Every child in our world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbledore, looking very seriously over the top of his half moon glasses. It would be enough. It would be enough turn for any boy's head. Famous before he could even walk and talk? Famous for something he won't even remember. Can you see how much better he'll be he'll be growing up from all of that until he's ready to take it? McGon Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed and said, Yes, you're right, of course. But how is a boy getting here, Dumbledore? She eyed his cloak. And suddenly, as though she thought that, as though she thought that he might be hiding something, as though he might be, she eyed his cloak suddenly, as though she thought that he might be hiding Harry underneath it. Hagrid's bringing him. Do you think it's wise to trust Hagrid with something important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dumbledore. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place, Professor said. Professor McGonagall said trudgingly. But you can't pretend that he's not careless. He does tend to... What was that? A low rumbling sound had broken the silence around them. It had grown steadily, steadily, steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sound of a headlight. It swelled to a roar as they both looked up at the sky. A huge motorbike fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. The motorbike was huge. It was nothing to the man. If the motorbike was huge, it was nothing to the man sitting in it. He was almost twice as tall as a normal man and at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed and so wild. Long tangles of bu um, bushy black hair and his beard hid in most of his face. He had the hands of a size of dud dustpin lids, and his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins. In his vast muscular arms, he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hagrid, Dumbledore said, sounding relieved. At last. And where did you get it? That motorbike. Borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore, sir, said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorbike as he spoke. Young Sirius Black lent it to me. I got him, sir. No problems were there? No, sir. House was almost destroyed, but I got him out before the muggles started foaming around. He fell asleep just as we were flying over Bristol. Um, Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent forward over the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible, was a baby boy, fast asleep, under the tuft of jet black hair. Over his, forep 
forehead. They could see a curiously shaped cut, like a bolt of lightning. Is that where, whispered Professor McGonagall. Yes, said Dumbledore. He'll have that scar forever. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in useful. I have one right above my left knee, which is a perfect map of the London Underground. Well, give him your aggregate. We'd better get this over with. Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned towards the Dursley's house. Could I, could I say goodbye to him? asked Hagrid. He bent over his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him what must have been a scratchy, whiskery kiss. Then suddenly, Hagrid let out a howl, just like a wounded dog. Shh! hissed Professor McGonagall. You'll wake the muggles! Sorry, sobbed Hagrid taking a large spotted handkerchief and burying it in his face. But I c c can't stand it. Lily and James dead. And poor little Harry off to live with the muggles. Yes, yes, it's all very sad. But get a grip on yourself, Harry. Hagrid, or we'll be found. Professor McGonagall whispered, patting Hagrid gingerly on the arm as Dumbledore stepped over to the low garden wall and walked into the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep, then took out a letter on his cloak, and tucked it inside Harry's blankets, and then came back to for the um to the other two. For a full minute, the three of them stood and looked at the little bundle. Hagrid's shoulders shook. McGonagall's eyes blinked furiously, and the twinkling light that usually shone from Dumbledore's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said Dumbledore finally, that's that. We've got no business in here. We might as well go and join the celebrations. Yeah, said Hagrid in a muffled voice. We'll be ta I'll be taking Sirius's but his bike back. Good night, Professor McGonagall, Professor Dumbledore, sir. Wiping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself onto the motorbike and kicked the engine into life. With a roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. I shall see you soon, I expect, Professor McGonagall, said Dumbledore, nodding to her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down the street. On the corner, he stopped and took out the silver putter outer. He clicked it once so that the twelve balls light sped back into the lamps so that the um, private um, privet drive glow of sun suddenly orange he could make out the tabby cat slinking into the corner on the other end of the um, street. He could just see the bundle of blankets on top of number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned on his heel and with a swish, his cloak was gone. A ruffled, a breeze, a breeze ruffled the neat hedges of Privet Drive, which lay silent and tidy under the inky sky, which, which the very place you would expect to see astonishing things about to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside his blankets without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him, and he slept on, not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be woken up into a few hours' time to um to miss to buy Miss Dursley's screen as she would open the front door to put out the milk bottles, nor that he would spend the next few weeks prodded and pinched by his cousin Dudley. He couldn't know that at this very moment, P. 
people meeting in secret all over the country or holding up their glasses and saying in hushed voices to Harry Potter, the boy who lived. So guys, that's pretty much all for today. We've read the whole chapter of The Boy Who Lived, um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling. I'm not reading the illustrated versions as I find it a bit easier to find the words clumped up together. Um, probably no one would know what I'm talking about, but anyway. So that's pretty much the end of the episode. Um, I might... I'm not sure what I'll do really. I might wait until next week to read another chapter. But all I will not all I do know is that I'm eventually gonna read all seven books, all chapters, no matter how I do it, but I'm gonna do it. So please leave a rating, please leave a review down below. Um yeah, and hopefully you enjoy. Um if there are any episodes out by the time you're watching this, by the time I'm saying this is none, obviously. But if there are any other episodes out, do make sure to check those out. Please follow us, whatever. Um, if you want my honest opinion, I like Spotify the best to use podcasts. It flicks instantly to the next podcast. If you're just using um, podcasts from the default that Apple usually has, I wouldn't really recommend that as it takes a very long time to um Load to the next. Anyway, that doesn't that's irrelevant. Anyway, guys, we just finished the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um just wait for the next episode if it's not out yet. Um hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave a rating and a review. And see you guys for the next episode.